This is Alumni Allowed, a podcast by Graduate Center students for Graduate Center students. In each episode, we talk with a GC graduate about their career path, the ins and outs of their current position, and the career advice they have for students. This series is sponsored by the Graduate Center's Office of Career Planning and Professional Development. I'm Paul Powell, a PhD student in the chemistry program at the Graduate Center. In this episode, I sit down with Dr. Ma Shah. Ma earned his PhD in the biochemistry program at the Graduate Center in 1994. When we recorded this episode, Ma was the head of bioprocess application labs at Eppendorf. In this episode, Ma talks about his experience running the labs at Eppendorf. He describes his hiring practices for his lab. We cover his experiences after graduation, which included a career transition into marketing. Ma also contrasts the roles of academic and industry scientists and emphasizes the importance of adjusting to the business mindset when transitioning into industry. Ma lives in Enfield, Connecticut, and was interviewed over the phone. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Thanks. We can just get right into it if that's okay with you. Yeah. Great. So tell us a little bit about your job. Okay. So Eppendorf is organized by different business units. The one I'm in is called a bioprocess. It's the division that produces bioreactors and fermenters that is used for either automated cell culture or fermentation, which the industry of bioprocess produces biopharmaceuticals. And this is predominantly chill cell culture produced antibodies for cancer and various other diseases. And this is really, really large market. The biopharmaceuticals are approximately 40, 50 billion dollar a year. One of the very largest biotech sectors. For example, the big name like Amgen, Genzyme, Roche, and they're all very big players and have billion-dollar-a-year blockbuster drugs that are made of antibodies, which are produced by chill cell in the bioreactors. So that's kind of the business that we're in. We're manufacturer of these bioreactors. And my responsibility is applications development for bioprocess. I have two labs that are responsible of, one in Enfield, Connecticut, we have five scientists, and then the other one's located in Ulick, Germany, has three scientists. So altogether, we have eight scientists dedicated in developing cell culture uh, fermentation applications in the bioreactor for our customers. So none of your eight scientists are doing primary research on any cancers or anything, but the work that they do is sent out to these other big players who use their work to develop new drugs? That's correct. We don't do research research. We help customer to use our bioreactors and we develop applications for that purpose. So you've given us a big picture of what you do. I wanted to zoom in a little bit and just ask you to describe what one day would look like. So a typical day for me, the head of the applications development, I'm kind of hands off, basically focused on how to optimize my team and the resources that I have to get the best results within the time frame that is available. So my typical day starts with processing emails, a lot of emails globally. I'm the headquarter for all the applications. So there are a lot of internal emails from various departments. We are responsible, I would say, primarily three different sections of the business. One is product development. So we're involved in applications aspect of new product, new bioreactors. We're involved in design, 
and there's a lot of meetings that goes along with the development. So I either process those by email or I attend the meetings. And then we are also responsible for internal application support. So there's applications group that are customer facing, and then they would come to us if they cannot address it. So we would support colleagues globally that are Eppendorf internal. And then the third part is our projects in the lab, which I mentioned as basically developing application examples to publish and then show to the customers how to do things. So my typical day start with emails and meetings, and I usually try to reserve the afternoon to go to the lab and then basically go over each project, check on the progress and solve issues that may be causing certain project to stuck and then make decisions and prioritize things. So I would say split into two-third office, one-third lab. The way that you describe your typical day sounds roughly analogous to what a PI would be doing in an academic lab. Yeah, that is very, very similar. Uh, the mm-hmm. big difference is as a PI in an academic lab, a big function of the PI is go out and get money. And in the company, that is no longer a need because you get this money by annual budget and then you can focus on work. I would say a typical academic PI probably spent a third to half of his time on searching and applying and grant-related activities. And that's not needed when you're a PI for a business lab. So I think that's a tremendous relief, to be honest. I can imagine that that is. So I wanted to know a bit more about the experience of somebody who might be trying to apply to your lab. If you could describe some of the things that you're looking for in an applicant. Okay. Something I'm looking for from the applicant? Yeah. Okay. You have a list of resumes in front of you. Which one are you going to give a call? Good point. Yeah. So the first thing is obvious. When I get a resume, I look at their fit with our current requirements, right? So you have a job description, and my job description says, you know, minimum three years of bioprocess experiences, which includes industrial bioreactors. Very few applicants have the industrial bioreactor experiences. There's actually a disconnect between the bioprocess business and the academic education. So I get a lot of applicants that may have cell culture, but they may not have bioreactor. And if they say bioreactor in the resume and they look close, and they're often homemade flasks that they just call it bioreactor, they're not the same as the industrial bioreactor that I'm looking for. So I would look for a fit first, and ideally, they would have that specific experiences. If they do not, then I look for cell culture. Then I would later on train people for the bioreactor. So that's the first thing I look, right? How much experience match that I have? If I don't have a perfect match, do I have enough match? Then I look at potential to bring this candidate up to speed. So the second thing I look for is the ability. I look at a progressive publication record and can you look at the resume of the candidate and see this candidate growing and publishing results? And that tells me you know, how much confidence that I have if I take this candidate in and it's meeting the requirement halfway, how much confidence that I have this candidate is going to be come up to speed quickly and able to perform. And the third thing for me, very important, is make an assessment on longevity. You know, I've had candidates that had easily 10 jobs in 10 years. And those are the resumes that I quickly put away because I don't want to be the next one-year environment for this candidate. So I think it's important when you build a resume, I would consider minimally two to three years at any given location. 
it's important to build that track record to show that you're not what I call a career hopper, where you're trying to hop from one place to another, and there's always a reason that you're not happy. And I think that's top three what I look when I try to hire somebody. Okay, so let's say you have two resumes in front of you, and they are pretty similar in those top three categories. How would you、mm-hmm. then choose between the two? Then I would bring them into on-site interview. So once they come on site, I wanted to get a feel from the team about the candidate, not just me, right? Because daily interactions, they're gonna work with the scientists in the lab. How well they fit in personality-wise plays an important role. That often will separate the candidates. And what I usually do is after the on-site interview is done, then I ask my team to basically vote. Most of the time, everybody is kind of on the same page. It's an easy decision. I think maybe one out of ten or two out of ten that I end up to be the tiebreaker. For the most part, once I bring the candidate in, then the team will easily decide. Checking with the rest of the group seems like it's good for the whole lab's morale. Right. Your role in the company has changed. You've been there for a certain number of years. Eight years now. It's eight years now. Yeah. How has your responsibilities in the company changed over time? So when I started with Eppendorf, it was actually with New Brunswick Scientific, the U.S. company that were famous for the shakers. New Brunswick Shaker was the first shaker on the market, I believe, in the 1940s, and they're really number one player in the market for a shaker. And they also have incubators, freezers, and bioprocess equipment. So I started with when Eppendorf purchased New Brunswick and wanted to move the lab from New Brunswick, New Jersey, to Enfield, Connecticut. So I had started with them with responsibility for two department applications. Both are in Enfield. I had about eight people still the same. Back then, it was five in the lab and three in what's called the technical applications department. And that department is responsible for application support. So I had both the lab and the application support responsibility, and there's some customer-facing application support I was responsible of. And the major transformation in recent years is this implementing of the vertical bioprocess business unit structure, and as a result, the integrated application support to customer service and the service support. I no longer have that application support piece of the responsibility. And they also integrated the labs globally. So as a result, I let go the technical applications and I gained the lab in Germany. So I'm responsible for two labs and not the customer-facing application support anymore. But for the most part, I'm still in applications. People can still call in and ask for support. It's just it's no longer your job to help them directly. Not me, but they still can call Ebendorf. The, stru-、right. the support structure is still there. Right. But they integrated the application with the service, which I think is a good thing because in the past, what's happening is the service guy is going to think it's an applications problem, the applications guy is going to think it's a service problem, and that sometimes causes delay because neither one thing is their problem. Now they're integrated into one. So the companies change their structure slightly to improve efficiency. Yes, and the customer satisfaction too. So now you're. Your application and service—you know—you can't pass this on to somebody else thinking it's not your problem. That makes sense. Speaking of thinking something's not your problem, I've been curious: <laughs> what is something that has been particularly challenging at work that you've been able to overcome recently? That's a good question. I would say continuously being challenging 
and it's always been challenging, is the priority changes very frequently. When you compare me like a PI for the industry lab versus the PI in academics, a PI in academics gets a grant and goes on for a couple of years or even longer. So as long as that money is not run out, your goal remains to be the same. In the company environment, some projects that are affiliated with product development might run consistently several years, but many of the projects that we take from the customer changes very frequently. Like we have a plan for next six months to develop a PKA East application in our new bioreactor. Now I just got requests from customer and there's a big potential of multi-unit purchase and they wanted us to help with a particular application. And we would then have to put down the East project again. Just give you a caliber of how severe that could be. I've been trying to restart the East project for at least six years. Every year it gets pushed out by some more urgent project that a higher priority. So that's, I think, a biggest struggle for me and my team who are assigned to certain projects that they might be asked to quit a few weeks asked, being asked to take on the project. Uh, does that, that make sounds, sense? That, that does make sense. It sounds frustrating. <laughs> yes. So it could be very frustrating, especially for a transition from academics. You've hmm. got to be able to pick up and drop. And that's just a business priority change. Have you acclimated to that quick change? Me personally, yes. Yes. I would say on average, I think my team, many of them are here from the academics after the PhD and maybe one postdoc, take about two years to fully transition mentally. I'm acclimated a long time ago. I've been in the company environment for probably 20 years, and it's pretty much similar. It doesn't matter what company that you work in. That makes sense. Last time we were talking, you mentioned a little bit about how challenging it was for you immediately after graduating from CUNY. Yes. So I wanted to just ask a couple questions. Describe what your situation was at that point and how you navigated the minefield there. Okay. So I would say I graduated pretty smoothly. So my confidence was high from CUNY after working at Dr. Gauss's lab for, I think, three and a half years. She and I had a deal. You know, I told her that I went through three years of master in China and lost three years of time compared <laughs> to other students in my class. And I wanted to kind of get up as soon as I can. So I kind of deal with her. She said, you publish two papers and you can graduate. And I did it within three years. So she held her side of the bargain. I still respect her for that. And after I graduated, I have very high confidence because I'm the first one to graduate in my class. And now what I'm clueless is what's, what's next? I have no idea how to find a job, where to look for it. I was under the naive impression that after I'm graduating, you know, I send out resume and everybody wants me. And it's not the case. As a matter of fact, nobody wanted me. So it was just a clueless environment. So what I did, a very silly approach, I don't think anybody has done it. I targeted Harvard University. I sent out 300 resumes to every professor that is listed on a website that has any biology relevancy. I'm blind. Okay. <laughs> and one day I got a call in the lab, a professor at Harvard University who does transposon research, and called me and asked me why I applied at her lab. And I have no clue. I literally said, I have no idea. I just blindly sent out 300 applications. I'm so sorry. I don't know what you do. And she was very nice. She told me to, you know, read more and then come back to her. I did it. 
because I was actually very ashamed. I, I can't imagine how a relationship would go on. So that was my approach. That really was a blind approach. There's no logic whatsoever. It seems like dealing with these kind of issues for a lot of people, if it turns out to be as challenging as you're describing, that could discourage them from continuing in their desired career path. Did you ever come to points where you considered changing careers? Changing careers, yes. So I did do, I did do a transition. So I don't know if I mentioned it. When I was doing postdoc at Harvard Medical School, I spent the evening going through the MBA classes. They have this extension school that does evening classes. So I took marketing, I took finance, I took investment, just kind of give me an idea that I don't have the money to do a real MBA, but is this something that I'm interested in, right? And it turned out I was. I thought the marketing was much easier than the biology. So, so after that the three classes, I decided to transition into the business. So my first job was at Severgen called the field applications. And then after that, I landed my second job as a product manager for Corning Life Sciences. So I did make that transition to marketing. Yeah, so I transitioned. I stayed in marketing for a good 10 years. Just happened to land this job back in somewhat a lab work. And I truly enjoy it, but I did transition to marketing for a long time. And I, I enjoyed it too as a product manager. I think that's a really nice position to be in, in the company. Cool. So we've been talking a bit about transitioning and getting that business experience. So you have both business experience as well as your academic scientific background, which have mm -hmm. come together in your current position. Not everyone in your company has that dual experience. You know, you have some people, as I understand it, who are strictly on the business side True. and a lot of people True. working under you who are strictly scientists. When you're working with those who are strictly business people, but they need to understand the science, what are some techniques you use to communicate with them and get them the information they need? That's actually a very good question. It's somewhat unique, I would say. I've seen a few people have similar experiences that has both the research background and the business, but it's certainly not very, very common. So I look at that as a unique advantage because I understand the marketing guys, I understand the product development guys because I was one of them, right? So I understand what they need in order to deliver to them because at the end of the day, the people who are in charge of the business development and the product development sets the tone for where the company goes. When you're working on the bench in the lab, you're basically fulfilling a business need. You're not trying to cure cancer or you're, or you're trying to get a Nobel Prize, right? So you got to understand the role that I'm in and the applications is a supporting role. And once you accept that and you learn how your customers are these marketing guys, then you know how to deliver the things that they need. And that helped me a lot. I see other people who are coming from the research area gets hired as a lab director and they constantly have misunderstanding and sometimes unwilling to develop things that the marketing guys is asking for. And that struggle is very common. Interesting. People in CUNY right now, what kind of mindsets should they try to adopt if they're planning on getting into a lab similar to one year running? The first mindset is the transition of what is the purpose of my role. In the company you work for, a for-profit corporation, and 
you're a scientist to develop what they need you to develop. And that is the transition of the mindset. You're not working for yourself. You're working for somebody else. And are you happy with that environment or not? Right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a bigger issue because some of them that I have to coach over the years, once in a while, it's going to become unhappy, right? Because then they get stuck. They worked on this project for three months. All of a sudden, we have to let go. And mm-hmm. we just hit them really hard. So I think that's the part to resolve. You're going to probably let go your dream for getting Nobel Prize one day, working for somebody else for their profit. And that's just the reality of it. Accept it and be happy and see what you can do with your strengths. And the company would recognize you if you do a good job. I think that's a good parting message for the interview. Thanks again. Sure. Take care. Bye. That's a wrap for this episode of Alumni Allowed. I want to thank Ma for coming on the show to share his experiences as head of the Eppendorf Bioprocess Application Labs. Remember to stay tuned for more episodes of Alumni Allowed, published every two weeks during the fall and spring semesters. Subscribe on iTunes, and you'll automatically be notified of new episodes. Also, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and career planning website at cuny.is careerplan for more updates from our office or to make appointments with our career counselors. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.